Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at the location that I've set up as a temporary studio. It's just outside of Wilmington, North Carolina, about halfway to Rocky Point, North Carolina, where we're going to be this weekend with Jim Hershenhan, a longtime friend. We graduated at the same time, and later we both got our honorary doctorates from Tennessee Temple. I spoke for graduation. Jim spoke for the baccalaureate. So we've looked forward to this sweet fellowship of partnering in ministry for many years. Riley's Creek Baptist Church is where Jim is located. He's inviting everybody to a two-day prophecy conference, all day Sunday and then on Monday evening, 9.30 and 11 a.m. in the morning. That would be two different messages. And then 6.30 on Sunday night and Monday night, we'll have a prophecy Q&A before. That's Riley's Creek Baptist Church, Rocky Point, North Carolina. Come join us as we study Bible prophecy. Well, we have our broadcast partners all lined up, and the first one is Ken Timmerman. And we're going to be talking to Ken about geopolitical events happening around the world. And Ken, let me just start with a, a very important issue as I look at the world. And I want to tell you, I don't know any media organization that leads with this story. A religious leader in Iraq is saying that Christians in the Middle East are going to be totally eliminated, and it could happen real soon. You've been there. You've been up in the north where, in fact, the cradle of uh, religious activities up in uh, Nineveh, which is modern-day Mosul. Uh, talk to us about the, this very disturbing report. Well, Jimmy, this is the Archbishop of uh, Erbil, who's based in northern Iraq, Bishop Warda, Bashar Warda, and he's, he's saying that Christians are slowly being eliminated, they're going to become extinct, and this is not a recent event. This has been going on for 1,400 years. That is his main point. He says, yes, we've suffered tremendously under ISIS uh, this week, by the way, marked the fifth anniversary of the ISIS invasion of northern Iraq and of the Christian Nineveh plain, and the Christians are slowly rebuilding, but is very, very difficult. And Bishop Warda is basically sounding the alarm to Christians of the West. What are you going to do once we do become extinct? There are no more Christians in Iraq or the Middle East because of 1,400 years of Muslim efforts to eradicate us. What will you do in the West when we are gone? Very interesting question, and I'm glad that you alerted me to this particular report, Kim, because the media of this world is not speaking about it, and it's mainly the most important subject that we ought to be focusing on, in my opinion. Well, talking about the Middle East and Islamic State and the resurgency there in Syria and Iraq, we need to understand what's happening. I was told that uh, Islamic State's been wiped out. Looks like they're trying to come back. Is that correct? Well, uh, here's what's actually happening on the ground. When people tell you the Islamic State is coming back, uh, it's fake news. It is absolutely not true. They do not own territory today as they did before we wiped out the caliphate last year. And that was thanks to a very dedicated effort by this president uh, after ISIS had been sitting there for four years under Obama. So, no, the Islamic State is not coming back. What is happening, though, what is happening 
is that you have terrorist groups isolated with no territory, uh, just as you have in North Africa. In fact, less than in North Africa because they have territory there. You have terrorist groups supported by a nation-state Turkey. And that's what's really significant here. And I'd like to drill down on this a little bit, because the threat that we are now facing, both in Syria and in Iraq, is coming not from ISIS, because ISIS really does not exist any longer. It is from Turkey that has, that has taken ISIS fighters under its wings, rebranded them as its own militia groups, to be on the border, to sit on the border between Turkey and Syria, and they are now preparing to whack the Kurds. So um, it, it's not a resurgence of ISIS. It is a move by Turkey to take ISIS fighters, to rebrand them, and to turn them against America's allies on the ground. Well, Ken, has that not been the case? I mean, down through the years, has not Tayyip Erdogan had a connection to Islamic State and illegal uh, oil coming out of the Middle East being sold on the black market before? You bet, Jimmy. And that's something that unfortunately has not been widely recognized in the national media. But absolutely correct. Uh, it's not new for Erdogan to have ties with these groups. What is new is that the threat that people are calling a resurgence ISIS is actually a threat from Turkey. And then is that not a part of Tayyip Erdogan's desire to wipe out the Kurds, since the Kurds are the most fierce fighters in the entire Middle East, and they're located there in Syria? He doesn't like them so close to his border. Could this be a part of his philosophy and agenda as well? It is absolutely part of his agenda to uh, get rid of the Kurds in Turkey and to, uh, uh, to prohibit them from having any political entity in Syria. But it's also part of his, his goal, Jimmy, to rid Christians uh, from the Middle East. And I don't think Erdogan has given that up. He has openly stated, we've talked about it many times here, that he wants to reestablish the caliphate. And it was the caliphate that organized that genocide against Christians between 1915 and 1919. Well, we're watching this very closely, and Ken has a real heart for these people. He's been there a number of times, and we'll stay on top of the story with Ken Timmerman. Let's uh, focus now on Iran just a bit. They seemingly are using smoke and mirrors as well. Their strategy looks like they're trying to keep America busy in the Gulf so that America cannot join Israel to fight on two different fronts. I mean, it's all smoke and mirrors, isn't it? Well, I think that part is all smoke and mirrors. They would, they would like to tie up the United States in the Persian Gulf so we could do nothing uh, in the event that there's a war, a major war between Iran and Israel. But people need to remember there have already been several wars between Iran and Israel through the surrogates of Hamas or Hezbollah, and the United States has never come to Israel's aid. Israel has fought those wars by itself, and I suspect should there be another war of that type, God forbid, that Israel would also defend itself alone, uh, that the United States would provide logistic assistance if we could. We would resupply anything that we are supplying the Israelis with, that they need military equipment for their F-35s or otherwise. But I do not see that the U.S. would break a long-standing policy, which is to allow Israel to defend itself. And by the way, the, Israeli, the Israelis are very proud to defend themselves. I don't think they need the United States uh, uh, to defend themselves militarily in the trenches 
and up in the air. You're talking about those proxies, Hamas and Hezbollah. I tell you what, Iran has uh, ratcheted up the amount of money that they're going to give the Palestinian people. I think about $30 million a month, if that's the correct number. I'm not sure on that. Uh, but they're going to fund Hamas there in the Gaza Strip for the intel on Israel that Hamas can provide to them. That's interesting. Uh, well, it is. And, and I think that also is a telltale sign of what the Israelis are after. They want to build Hamas up. Uh, They see Hamas as their front line with Israel, just as they see Hezbollah as their front line with Israel. And uh, by giving them more money now and helping them to bury the hatchet with Syria, because remember, Hamas was not supporting Bashar al-Assad at the beginning of the Syrian civil war. They were supporting the rebels because they were Muslim Brotherhood, and the rebels were Muslim Brotherhood. So Iran is very eager to uh, help Hamas build itself up, and that's why they're giving them more money. I've heard that $30 million a month figure as well. I think that's probably accurate. And that is uh, an increase, almost a fourfold increase from what they're giving them today. Of course, uh, Iran also making a statement that any new war is going to be a major threat to Israel, according to the uh, Islamic organization, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. Well, that's right. And, and these are the kind of threats. This is Hossein Salami, the commander of the Revolutionary Guards Corps. This is a typical threat from the regime. But I, I really have a different take on this, Jimmy. I think that the regime in Iran is, is worried today. I think they are under very serious pressure from the U.S., uh, from sanctions, from the U.S. military presence from our attempt to build an alliance, again, a naval alliance to counter Iranian aggression in the Persian Gulf. And uh, the way that they respond to that kind of threat and that kind of pressure is by threatening Israel. They've done it all the time. Uh, Again, the the concern here is that an accident, the entire region could stumble into war. I think Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is very, very aware of this. He's very careful about this. He's calculated in the moves that he takes. You know, he used to have this red line with Russia where he would tell the Russians what he was going to do in Syria ahead of time. I'm not sure that that red phone is still active, but the Russians are not interfering when the Israelis attack Iranian pressures in Syria. So I I think the Iranians are under pressure, and I think this kind of statement, again, is their their normal bravura, uh, and it shows that they're running scared. Meanwhile, all of this is going on while about two and a half million Muslims are making their way over to Mecca for the Hajj. Here's the thing to watch on the Hajj, Jimmy. Will those Iranian uh, pilgrims protest? Will they come out and protest Saudi Arabia? The last time that happened, there were four or five hundred dead. Uh, it could be a, a, a you know significant event. Do you understand, folks, if you're eavesdropping on this conversation, Ken Timmerman comes to the broadcast table with outstanding information. It's news that we need to know. Nobody else is giving it, so we need to have Ken available to be able to let us know actually how the prophetic scenario found in God's Word is really coming together. Ken, thank you so very much for your many years of service, but especially your service with us here on Prophecy Today. Thanks so much, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got a Middle East news update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. (laughs) 
just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios just outside of Wilmington, North Carolina, on the road towards Rocky Point, North Carolina. That's where we're going to be this weekend, Sunday and Monday, Riley's Creek Baptist Church. Pastor Jim Hershenhan invites everybody in our listening area up there in North Carolina to come and join us for a two-day prophecy conference. On Sunday morning, two services, different messages. That'll be at 9.30 and 11 a.m. And then 6.30 on Sunday evening and Monday evening with Prophecy Q&A an hour prior to those evening services. Love to have you come. We need to be studying Bible prophecy today. That's at the Riley's Creek Baptist Church, Rocky Point, North Carolina. Well, as promised, let's go to Dave Dolan. He's the man who for over 35 years has been covering the Middle East. Now, if I had his brain, I would be fantastic because he's got so much in that brain that helps us to understand whatever's happening in the Middle East and how it relates to Bible prophecy because not only has he been a journalist for all those years, he's been a student of the Word of God as well. David, thank you for joining us, and let's go straight to the terror attack that took place in Kush Etzion, killer by a Looks like a Palestinian with a knife killed a young man who was in the Israeli Defense Force. Yes, Jimmy, a horrendous killing, and now the Israeli authorities are saying that they believe it was a Hamas cell, not just a lone uh, Palestinian that did it. They're saying they're collecting evidence of a much more organization than they first thought. 
that the fact that the killers, they now believe it was more than one, got away, were able to successfully drive away. They believe they went north to Bethlehem, the Bethlehem area, and there the car was taken to what they call chop shops. Devere Sorek, an 18-year-old army soldier, he was just going into the army, serving under the yeshiva program where young students will study the scriptures and also serve in the army. There's uh, several thousand uh, young men that do that. He was just beginning that. He'd been in Jerusalem earlier in the day buying a book and was coming back to the Gush Etzion area, as you said, south of Jerusalem, going up to a kibbutz, Migdal Oz, when he was attacked, stabbed, and uh, brutally murdered. And Jimmy, even worse than that, during his funeral on Thursday, a nearby Palestinian town set off fireworks, they were giving out candy at, in Ramallah at the Palestinian University there. They were celebrating throughout the Gaza Strip the murder of this young man. And uh, now uh, there are reports that this may be designed to begin a new Palestinian uprising or intifada evidence of that. And it came, Jimmy, just a couple days after the Israeli army said they had discovered a large bomb in nearby Hebron that Palestinian Hamas members were building, had built actually, it was completed, and that they were planning to take that probably into Jerusalem, try to smuggle it in there and have a major terror attack. Instead, the Israelis found it and they blew it up. But some think this may have been Hamas's response to that action but again, Hamas stirring trouble, not just in Gaza, where we continue to await the possibility of a full war, more hints of that this week, but again now in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, stirring up trouble there. Wow. A demonstration of the evil minds of these radical Palestinian terrorists who then they not only kill Jews, but then they rejoice and have parties over the fact that that has happened. Meanwhile... Prime Minister Netanyahu says that he's going to push Israeli sovereignty over all the Jewish settlements, and the IDF has agreed to let them build 2,000 new units as of today there in Judea and Samaria. This is somewhat of a in-your-face, you attack us, you're going to try to destroy, we're going to try to build. Well, it's what the Prime Minister's been saying all along, Jimmy, that uh, we won't be driven out of this land this is our biblical heartland, Judea and Samaria, uh, featured prominently throughout the Bible, obviously. Uh, the last words of Jesus uh, go into all the world, beginning with Judea and Samaria. This has been a Jewish area for over 3,000 years, and as he states, they're going to continue to live there. Expansion of buildings, as you mentioned, announced actually, though, before the terror attack that was announced earlier this week by the cabinet, that they would be building over 2,000 new homes. But, of course, uh, last week the Israeli cabinet approved over 700 new Palestinian homes that they could be built. So it's not as if they're saying the Arabs have to leave. In fact, that's always been the case. We want to live with you, not in place of you. But, of course, Hamas and the other radical Palestinians say the opposite, just as their sponsor Iran says, we will be in place of you. We will destroy you and be in the land. You can't live here at all. Well, it's Judea and Samaria, the Jewish heartland. They're back, and they're going to stay there. And the Bible does say that will be the case, and it's an absolute when it says it in the Bible, is it not, David? It is indeed. Ezekiel 36, you speak about this all the time, and I have for years, too, that 
the Lord would return his ancient Jewish people to his land. He doesn't say to their land. It is God's land, but he, as it were, leases it to the Jewish people uh, forever, though it states in Psalm 105 and other places. So they are returning to those hills and valleys of Judea and Samaria and continuing to grow there and to thrive there. But, of course, these are terror attacks and violence occur periodically to try to drive them out. And a third uprising would be a major attempt to do that once again, and we'd have a lot of bloodshed, and we're hoping and praying that doesn't happen. But Hamas makes it clear all the time the destruction of the Jewish state entirely, including in Haifa, including in Tel Aviv, not just in Judea and Samaria, is what they want to see. You know, I mentioned early on in my conversation with David, he was not only a very qualified journalist for many, many years, but it was a student of the prophetic word of God and brought to our attention a very important thought. The fact is the land is God's land, not belonging to the Jews. Leviticus 25 says the exact same thing. Great thought there, David. Boy, I appreciated that. Well, what about the Palestinian leaders? This is uh, just at the time of Tish Ba'av, when the Jews are mourning the destruction of two temples. And uh, later broadcast, we'll have a conversation with Winky Madad all about the details of Tish Ba'av. Uh, but uh, the Palestinians very much outraged because the Jews want to go up onto the Temple Mount. I mean, uh, again, evilness in their minds, and they just will not allow what should happen to happen. No, and it's just fantasy, Jimmy. Uh, again, that's not just Hamas and the more radical Palestinian groups. We hear this from the PLO. We've heard, heard it from the late Yasser Arafat. Mahmoud Abbas, the current Palestinian Authority leader, says it too. There was never a Jewish temple in Jerusalem. That this is uh, not true, that all the archaeological mounting evidence every day that there was, of course, is irrelevant, and that they have the right to be there as Muslims, that Islam is the true faith, and Judaism is something God has bypassed, and the Jewish people are a relic of history. Well, that may have sounded possible 100, 150 years ago, but now we have over 8 million Jews back in the Holy Land and building um, enemies all around, though. We have, Jimmy, interesting development this week. We had an announcement from the government that the jamming of uh, GPS signals that's been occurring in Israel since June has ended. Now, they didn't say how it ended, but somehow they've ended that. But Army Radio reported that it was Russia that was doing that from nearby Syria, that they've been jamming Israeli electronics over the last two months. The Russian embassy said it was fake news. But enemies all around, Jimmy, if the Palestinians were only themselves against Israel and didn't have these other state supporters, as it were, then uh, they wouldn't be nearly as effective. But they do have those friends, particularly Iran and increasingly Russia. And, of course, this all fits in, as you know, with the biblical prophecies as well. So we're reading in the news, I'm speaking about today's happenings, with that knowledge that all of this was prophesied, and of course the Jewish temple being rebuilt, oh, that's an expectation, and Tishba'av beginning this evening at sundown and carrying on tomorrow, an important remembrance that the first two temples were destroyed by the Babylonians and the Romans, but there is that growing hope and expectation, really, amongst many of the uh, Orthodox Jews, at least, that a third temple is coming and coming soon. But as I've stated many times, probably only in the wake of major uh, warfare in the region. 
David Dolan is a very important component of this broadcast team here at Prophecy Today. We know we have to have him and his knowledge, his expertise, his experience available to us when we go on the air and talk about events happening in the Middle East. And David, of course, through the week in my daily broadcast, Prophecy Today Intelligence Briefing, joins us as well with that knowledge, experience, and information. David, thank you so very much. We're going to come back to you every week as long as you and I can get behind these microphones and we'll talk about what's happening today, which is reflecting what's going to happen tomorrow. Lord willing, we will, Jimmy, and God bless you. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Winky Madad is standing by. We'll talk about more of what is the Tisha B'Av High Holy Day and what are the activities of it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here in North Carolina. We're just at the outskirts of the area called Wilmington, North Carolina. We're going to be at the Rocky Point, North Carolina, Riley's Creek Baptist Church, and we're looking forward to being there. Come join us at the Riley's Creek Baptist Church. Well, let's go to our broadcast partner that I said we would go to. I'm talking about Winky Madad. And, Winky, this is a very solemn time as it relates to the Jewish world. I think you told me last time we talked there were only two very serious holy days when you have a 25-hour fast. That was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and Tish B'Av. Would you please explain for our listeners what Tish B'Av is all about and uh, what we get the name from, what does it mean? Well, Jimmy, the Hebrew months, of course, have Hebrew names, and the one that comes out usually between July and August, don't forget that our months are uh, both lunar and timed up with the sun, so we have a little bit of a difference of maybe sometimes a week or more. The ninth day is traditionally considered the day that both the first temple and the second temple were destroyed. It's mentioned in some of the prophets about the fifth month, because we sometimes count from the month of Nisan, which is usually the month of Passover, so the fifth month would be Av. And then they added on the fall of the last fortress 
against Rome in 135 of the Common Era. So in other words, the Jews have decided in their wisdom to lump all those horrific days when we not only lost the temple and unable to practice our traditions and our religious services and sacrifices and whatever else is connected, but of course it also meant a loss of political sovereignty. We were captured by the Babylonians and then by the Romans, and as you mentioned in the lead question, it is so solemn that we conduct a 25-hour fast, at least those who are more religiously observant, and so this year it starts on Saturday night, going all through Sunday until the evening. Well, I know that some of the activities, not only the 25-hour fast, but you endeavor to try to get up to the Temple Mount as close as you can possibly get there where you can pray, and mostly that is seated at the gates that would enter into the Temple Mount, and you read the book of Lamentations. Now, I can almost know the answer to the question, but why do you read the book of Lamentations? Jimmy, in uh, rabbinical Judaism, studying the Torah, the five books of Moses are actually all of the Bible, is considered something joyful. And so on this day, we really are not supposed to study at all, and all that we're left with is these books that commemorate, mourn, uh, eulogize those events of the Ninth of Av, and of course the Book of Lamentations is foremost. Uh, there are other books uh, or parts of books that are read, but a whole literature of elegies, of poems, have been composed over the centuries, including periods of like the Crusader massacres and, and other events, even including the expulsion of, from Spain, which also traditionally is on the ninth day of, uh, of Av. And so these are what we concern ourselves, recalling what the glory of the temple was, how free we were, and the situation afterwards. You also, I understand, this is the time of the year that you pray next year in Jerusalem, and that prayer pertaining to the rebuilding of the temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and you want that to happen at least by next Tishbaav, in other words, next year. That is true, but of course, Jimmy, we also talk a little bit of politics now and then on this program, and now that we have the Temple Mount technically in our hands, of course, the question is, why don't we do something about it? This year, for example, a Arab or a Muslim holiday, the Feast of the Sacrifice, uh, which I won't get into now, is also falls on Sunday, so I am not quite sure exactly what the situation is going to be on the Sunday. Uh, will we be allowed to enter uh, the gate and simply walk around and have our presence felt, or will be banned because of their holiday. That's another situation that we have something to mourn about that we cannot say we can share the mount. You get a couple of hours, we get a couple of hours. David Friedman, we had him at the center of our discussion a couple of weeks back, made this statement on July the 4th, when the celebration, actually July the 2nd, when they celebrated the moving of the U.S. Embassy into Jerusalem and also the 4th of July Independence Day, 
made the statement this year in Jerusalem. We talked about what you thought he may have meant, a little bit of a pushback, but I've not heard him withdraw that statement. And is he still pretty much looking to that temple to be built this year instead of next year? Well, of course, it'd be delicate. I'd say you'd have to ask him. But if you're asking me as a commentator, a pundit, I would say, of course, Mr. Friedman of the Jewish faith has his own personal beliefs, and as the American ambassador to the state of Israel, he has an official position, which, of course, it could be at times different. Uh, That's one of the things that diplomats have to deal with. Perhaps he was mixing in some metaphors, but uh, I really don't know. I would presume he would want to see a new situation develop as we move on to the redemptive status and and period in in our uh, uh, life that has been prophesied in the Bible. On the other hand, he happens to be an official of the State Department and, of course, is bound by their policies. One final question. There is a somewhat radical type of candidate. He leads a political party. They've not been, I don't think, able to put anybody in the Knesset as of yet. Moshe Phelan used to be a part of the Likud. He's on his own right now. And his is the only party platform that calls for the Third Temple. Will the Prime Minister include him in his coalition if indeed he gets that position and opportunity? I would think he would, but on the other hand, I don't think he's going to cross the threshold of three... I think it's 3.25 percent of the of the vote in order to get into the Knesset at all. He didn't make it the last time. He doesn't have the um, he has he's not riding any wave of public uh, interest even at this moment in time. And so, uh, with uh, three right wing parties getting together, they have sort of pulled a lot of the interest and a lot of the uh, I'd even say emotion in this election, and so I'm going to guess that he will be left out of the Knesset as another more radical right-wing party called Otsma, or power or strength. And so I'm only looking at two right-wing parties, which is Likud and the uh, uh, United Right, I think they're calling themselves now. There'll be religious parties, and there'll be left of center and more radical left-wing parties. That's the voice of Winky Madad. We talked to him about, of course, this very solemn Jewish holy day, Tish Ba'av, but then looking at the political situation as well for the upcoming elections in September. Winky, thank you so very much for this report. Appreciate it, and we'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, thank you for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Boy, when you have a conversation with Winky Madad... He gets into the information we need to know about the particular subject, and Tishba Av is a very important day as it relates to the Jewish community. Uh, The date, actually, many years apart of the destruction of the first and second temples, and the prayer that the Jewish people offer up for a temple to be built in Jerusalem. Another man, just on the other side of Jerusalem, is Itamar Marcus. He is the director of a group, a team called Palestinian Media Watch. Their address on the internet, palwatch.org. I would suggest you bookmark that spot 
and make sure that you sign up for the newsletter that Itamar sends out updates on what the Palestinian media is really saying, not to the world, but to their own people. And Itamar's service with his team is to let the rest of the world know what is actually going on. Itamar, thank you for your service. Thank you for the opportunity to chat with you just a moment here. Always a pleasure. Let me ask you about what we saw last Friday uh, when right there at the Israeli-Gaza border, the Palestinians, and many of them gathered there to demonstrate it's their so-called march of return, they unfurled a swastika flag. Now, talk to me about the swastika flag. Why in the world would they do that at that site and any significance to it at all? The Palestinian Authority, because they promote murder of Jews, murder of Israelis, as not only something that Palestinians want in the name of Palestinian nationalism, but they also present it as something that Allah wants, something in Islamic destiny. Because of that, they have various times presented Hitler as having done something that was beneficial for humanity and, in fact, fulfilling Allah's wishes. It wasn't so many months ago when a uh, religious leader on Palestinian television, uh, giving the uh, official uh, Friday sermon, said, said exactly that. He, he talked about Allah having sent many leaders, many countries, to, to punish the Jews. He said that Allah sent Nebuchadnezzar, who, of course, destroyed the first temple, and he said he then destroyed later on, he, destroyed, he sent Titus, who destroyed the second temple, and, he, and throughout Europe, he sent the Spanish who expelled them. And then he said they even brought Hitler, and the Jews never learned from this. In other words, the Pal- and this is just a few months ago, the end of 2018. So when the Palestinian Authority presents Hitler to its people as a messenger of Allah sent to punish the Jews, uh, I'm not surprised that you have people who then will unfurl a Nazi flag and put it together with the Palestinian flag because they see Hitler, at least some of them, as having done a service to humanity by exterminating six, uh, six million Jews. Well, how did this connection come together? Talk to me about it. What was it that brought Hamas and Hitler together? I know Hamas was not in existence at the time of Hitler, but there must have been some Palestinian entity that uh, would bring them together. Well, the leader of the uh, Arab population British Palestine at the time was a person named Haj Amin al-Husseini. He was the Mufti of Palestine, and he was very close to Hitler and very close to the Nazi party. He had to run away from British Palestine, and he took refuge where? Where did he take refuge? He took refuge in Berlin during the war. He was responsible for setting up a Muslim SS uh, company. Muslim SS unit that went around massacring people. Uh, they massacred Yugoslavia, s- sought his arrest after World War II as a war criminal. Now, Hajimin al-Husseini is a leader of the Palestinians at the time, and he still today is promoted as a leader, and in fact, they've even named a school after him. Hmm. That is quite interesting because of the fact that was not Yasser Arafat a kin or somehow connected with the Hajiman al-Husseini? Yes, yes, he's a relative as well, and that's probably why in the end he was appointed to his position that he received. And that ideology of Hajiman al-Husseini trying to exterminate the Jews, and by the way, he was 
supportive of Hitler in, in that he was hoping for the extermination of all the Jews who existed in the land of Israel at the time. So that ideology has been ingrained from them uh, into Hamas and the Palestinian Authority and occasionally is expressed even on television. And, to, and it's, no, it's no surprise that Palestinians see the Nazi symbol as a positive symbol. As a positive symbol, indeed. Now, what about Hitler? Is he such a hero to not only the adults, but uh, I understand even the children's programming sometime is aimed towards indoctrinating the children, the Palestinian children, that Hitler was a hero as well. Is that correct? Well, we saw one shocking example of this when a Palestinian Authority-funded uh, magazine named Zeisifuna came out once a month, and they published in there not only their own writings, but writings that uh, children sent in. Well, one high school student sent in a, an essay that she wrote, and she described in the essay that she met four historical heroes and had a conversation with them. And she had... Three of them were Muslim leaders. The fourth hero who she met was Adolf Hitler, and she had a conversation with him uh, in her dream, and she asked him, aren't you the one who killed the Jews? And he said, yes, I would kill them so you would all know what a, I can't remember the precise word now, a terrible, um, corrupt people they were. And Hitler then wished the Palestinians to success in dealing with the Jews. And then it writes, she thanked him for his advice. Um, this was in a children's magazine published by educators, published by uh, some people who were part of the Palestinian Authority Ministry of Education. They were presenting as Hitler having done a service to humanity by having killed so many Jews. And that's a message we get from Palestinians. So we get the message of killing Jews as a service to humanity uh, from Palestinian, especially religious leaders, and we occasionally also get the Hitler connection as well. Well, that Hitler connection seems to be inciting continually when they bring it up or with the sight of that uh, swastika flag that uh, was there at the Gaza-Israeli border to remind the people that Hitler's goal was to wipe out Jews all over the world. So I would imagine then Hamas and all the really radical Palestinians want to do that exact same thing. Hamas actually has it in their charter, which they wrote in 1988. They have the following clause. The Islamic resistance movement, which means Hamas, is looking forward to implement Allah's promise, however long it may take. And then there's the verse from the Hadith. The Hadith is Islamic, part of Islamic law, which talks about the hour of resurrection, what coming until Muslims fight the Jews and kill them. Uh, then it goes on to talk about the final Jews hiding behind rocks and trees, and eventually they'll be exterminated as well. Hamas put that in their charter. Hamas put in their charter. They're looking forward to fulfill Allah's promise of the extermination of Jews. And that's why Hamas doesn't differentiate between man, woman, child, infant, um, because for them, in order to bring about the redemption of the world, they have to exterminate even the children, even the infants. And this is what we're dealing with in Hamas. And by the way, it's not just Hamas. We have heard numerous Palestinian Authority and Fatah leaders, uh, religious figures, saying the same thing. In fact, the current Palestinian Authority Mufti, Ibrahim Hussein, said that on Palestinian television at a Fatah event, he quoted that source as well, the same source about the genocide of Jews. So, unfortunately, it's made its way into a large segment of Palestinian Authority ideology, 
that's why we're not surprised when Hitler is, comes across as a Palestinian hero. In World War II, Hitler wanted to exterminate the Jews, genocide of the entire Jewish world. Today it's Hamas with the other very radical Palestinians who want to do the exact same thing. Well, I wanted our listeners to understand the connection between the swastika flag, Adolf Hitler, and the desire by Hamas to eliminate all Jews in this world, especially in the state of Israel. And I go to the man who stays on top of all of that as he monitors the Palestinian media, Itamar Marcus, and his team, Palestinian Media Watch. That's palwatch.org. That is their address on the Internet. Why don't you bookmark it? Itamar, thank you so very much for helping us to understand this situation, keeping us abreast of what is really going on in the Palestinian media. We need to have you available when, indeed, there is something else we need to discuss. So appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon. Thanks so much, and have a good day. Very interesting conversation with Itamar Marcus focused on the swastikas, and it's on the flags in the Gaza Strip of the Hamas organization. Interesting connection between Hamas and Hitler through, of course, the Hajjaman el-Husseini. It's good to understand history, helped us to understand the future as well. Well, right now we're going to El Paso, Texas, not to necessarily report on the mass shooting that took place there, because that's where John Rood is located. He's the man who covers the European Union for us. He's in El Paso today, and when he's in the States, that's where he lives. John, uh, just a brief statement or two, how is the community of El Paso overcoming this terrible, terrible disaster that took place there? Uh, El Paso, of course, was completely shocked and continues to be. There is a real great showing of public solidarity, and throughout the city, everywhere you go, you see the phrase, El Paso strong. There's really a bringing together. People are not trying to make any connections politically. They're working with the relationship here with the families and victims, and people were very appreciative that the president could visit as well. That's good news to hear, and all of our prayers are with not only you and your family, John. Uh, you might remember as soon as it happened, I got on the phone to call to see if you were okay. You were, and we praise the Lord for that. But uh, all of those who've lost loved ones, our prayers are for them and wisdom for the leadership that they may know how to deal afterwards with this individual who killed so many people. Well, let's focus now, as you, we always do when we have a conversation with you on the European Union. Looks like the European Union is slamming the decision by the Israeli government to build more settlements there in what they refer to as the West Bank, Judea and Samaria. In fact, the IDF has approved about 2,000. What about the European Union's reaction to that? The United Kingdom has taken a very hard stand against Israel, saying that they're promoting annexation in what's referred to as the West Bank. And their stance goes along with the United Nations. So they're actually, in a way, separated from much of the EU uh, having this voice. But the official EU stand is, quote, all settlement activity is illegal under international law. It erodes the viability of the two-state solution and the 
prospects for lasting peace, and the EU refers to Israel in this situation as an occupying power. You know, they need to be worrying about, of course, the EU and the Brexit situation instead of so much what's happening in the area of Judea and Samaria in Israel. In light of that, I read this headline, John. Respond to it, if you will. An Irish minister is predicting that the Brits will crash out of the European Union in October. What are your thoughts? Ireland, of course, and the government are the first ones to panic. Ireland is the country that will be impacted the most by a hard crash Brexit. So really what the Irish minister is predicting is what everybody should predict at this time with the information we have. But we have to note that the European Union, they can produce a last-minute compromise. But they've placed the United Kingdom in a very, very difficult situation because they're saying get a solution, but the EU are refusing to negotiate, especially the Irish backstop. So now Ireland is starting to speak out and saying that we would we actually would like to have a financial support if this happens. And so on the sideline, Ireland is speaking out, and then the EU uh, inside is really hoping that Boris Johnson, the new U.K. prime minister, that he will blink in this standoff and then choose for another delay. But he has, he has spoken out very clearly, October 31st is the limit. So uh, we have here a uncertainty with Ireland. They're asking the EU for extra support. John, we've mentioned the Eurozone, which is the economic combination of all the EU states, or most of them anyway, that, so they can stick together. And it's being predicted it's destined to fall as well. Uh, some are suggesting they try to put new relationships together what do you know about the Eurozone and all of that? The, the U.K. joined the European Union in terms of a free trade association. There was no talk of a currency uh, union, and they've stayed away from that. The, the monetary union, known as the Eurozone, is 19 of the 28 EU member nations. Milton Friedman, the outstanding U.S. economist, when the euro was introduced... He expected that it would only last about 10 years. And so, well, it's done well more than 10 years. Now, the Brexit Party chairman, uh, Richard Tice, in the, in the United Kingdom, has actually said the Eurozone is destined to fail. So this is not necessarily a new idea. It's been there since its conception. In return, the United Kingdom is strengthening its trade relationships around the world. And so their foreign secretary has used the expression to fire up um, U.K. trade worldwide after Brexit. And so the President Trump has actually come out and said that they would have some type of bilateral trade deal that could boost the British-American trade up to five times the current level. Imagine, that's, that's just enormous. So the U.K. foreign secretary has been working with the United States, Canada, Mexico. Uh, he was in Thailand dealing with uh, representatives of 10 southeastern Asian countries. And so 
the U.K. seems to be very well positioned to take care of their trade on their own without EU control. Economics, politics, and everything else mixed in together is what will bring the revived Roman Empire out of what I do believe, and John as well, the European Union is the infrastructure of. And so, John, Bible prophecies still going to be fulfilled no matter what happens as it relates to Brexit. Would you not agree? Absolutely. And we see the European Union come through this whole period of integration. Now it's disintegration. And yet, even though, let's say hypothetically, the EU goes from 28 to 27 to 35 countries, exactly like you say, it's, it's irrelevant. There will be an eventual 10-nation confederation, which is the power base of the Antichrist. And we do see, for the first time, that number is descending. And so 27 is, is certainly closer to 10 than 28. <laughs> Absolutely. John Rood, who is the man who covers the European Union for us, we need to have his report to us each and every week to stay abreast of where we are in God's prophetic plan. John, thank you so much, buddy. Glad you're safe. We'll continue to pray for the El Paso community and talk again next week. Thank you so much. I'm sure El Paso covets all of your prayers. Thank you so very much. You're welcome. And by the way, that's what I'm going to be discussing with David James. We have one more broadcast partner, and we're going to talk with David about praying for the victims of mass shootings. There are some that reject the statement, we're going to be praying for you. We'll talk with David James about that in a moment, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to our last half hour of a 90-minute broadcast that I've asked you to give us each and every week that amount of time in order to alert you to the current events around this world that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Our broadcast partners have reported some very important details about these current events, which makes it even look closer than we thought it was last time we got together. By the way, I'll take a look at the book at the end of this half hour, so keep the dial set right where it is. Want to remind you, we'll be at the Riley's Creek Baptist Church over in Rocky Point, North Carolina. I'm here in my temporary studios just outside of Rocky Point, and I want you to be sure if you're in the area and can make it, come join us all day Sunday, two services in the morning, 9.30 and 11 a.m. There will be two different messages there. And then at 6.30 on Sunday night and Monday night for the teaching with an hour before being the time for Prophecy Q&A. That's the Riley's Creek Baptist Church in Rocky Point, North Carolina. Here's the poll question. If you'll respond to it, I would so appreciate it. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and then uh, scroll down on the left-hand column. You'll find the poll question. Here it is. As the Jews around the world mourn over the destruction of two previous temples in Jerusalem and pray for the rebuilding of the next temple in Jerusalem— they do that on Tish Ba'av, and since all preparations have been made for the rebuilding of that temple, do you believe that that could happen this year in Jerusalem? 
Now, that's the poll question. Answer it. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James, and we're first of all going to respond to our conversation last week with David. We got an email on that discussion, and we'll talk about that, but then we want to also go into the subject that many are rejecting as something that should be done when these mass killings, these mass shootings take place. Many people say, we're going to be praying for you. Well, we don't need your prayers. We need, uh, no, wait a minute, you do. So keep the dial right here because David and I have a very important conversation uh, to have so you can understand how we need to be praying for these victims of these mass shootings and the ways to pray as well. But David, before we get to this week's main topic, I want to do a brief follow-up on last week's discussion about Josh Harris as there have been yet another development or two in that story. Talk to us about it. Well, that's right, Jimmy. For those who may have missed last week's program, Harris is best known for his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. But now it's been widely reported, it's all over the Internet now, that he marched in a gay pride event in Vancouver last weekend. And then in connection with that event, uh, Harris wrote a long post on the Internet, and he concluded with this statement. I'm here, I'm alive, I'm not ashamed. Very interesting developments there. Well, now let's get to our main topic for today. I thought we needed to discuss the two recent mass shootings, as well as an article that you sent me about how a shooting survivor thinks that we need to respond to these tragedies as believers. Let's first talk about these shootings and the response we've all been watching this week. Well, as I'm sure our listeners do know, there was a mass shooting last weekend in El Paso, Texas, and then in Dayton, Ohio, and I think even one of your previous guests on today's program actually referred to uh, the situation in Texas. And these were horrible tragedies uh, with a total of 33 people killed and another 50 or so injured. Now, the Texas shooter, who's now in custody, had written a document that's been described as racist and white nationalist, and it's now known that he traveled about 10 hours from Dallas with the intent of killing as many Latinos as possible. Then the Ohio shooter was actually killed in the incident, and his girlfriend has since said that he was fascinated with mass shootings. It's also been reported that he may have been involved with satanic rituals, so these were both very troubled people. You know, it's become a political fiasco in media feeding frenzy as several Democrat candidates as well as commentators on the left were quick to lay the blame directly at the feet of President Trump, even though he has denounced these kinds of things. And within hours, some were using these tragedies to gain national airtime and even do fundraising. So, And, and while it's true the El Paso shooter had extreme right-wing views, what few were talking about is that the Dayton shooter had extreme left-wing views. And so the misrepresentation and I would say even outright lies being told in interviews and political speeches. These things are just appalling, and it's creating a horrible climate in the aftermath of these shootings. David, I've got to agree with you. I've watched some of the media coverage of the after effects of what's happened. I've been disgusted with that, been disgusted with what some of the political leaders on both sides of the aisle have been saying. I just think it's absolutely ludicrous that they would make statements like they are 
Uh, and that is, uh, you, you know, I do believe a sign of the end times. I mean, you know, not try to figure out how do we solve this problem, but let's just attack anybody and everybody and let's just blame them instead of us. Well, I, I think that uh, an article that you sent me that was published in Christianity Today, written by a young woman who was a victim of a senseless shooting herself, really speaks to the point. First, what can you tell us about her personal story? Her name is Taylor Schumann, and she survived a shooting at a Virginia community college in 2013. The 19-year-old shooter first tried to fire his pump-action shotgun at people near the front desk where she was working, but the gun didn't go off. And then uh, she went into a closet, and the shooter shot twice through the door, hitting her in the hand and, and caused splinters of wood to be driven into her face and chest. And then he saw someone else hiding behind a chair in the lobby and shot her in the back at point-blank range. And by God's grace, she miraculously survived that, though with severe uh, injuries. Now, Schumann is now, is now married and has a son, and she's also a writer. And on her website, she has the following on her About page, and I'll just quote what she she has said. She said, I've learned a lot the past few years. I've learned about trauma and grief. I've learned about the ways that the body stores trauma and memories and how PTSD and anxiety can take over a life. I've learned what it's like to walk in contradicting emotions, grateful to be alive, yet struggling with the pain of living. I've experienced deep suffering, and yet through all of it, I've known the joy that is found in feeling God's guiding hand as you take one step after the other before it, trusting that you'll one day find healing and redemption. So this has touched her life deeply. Well, and her article, and that statement at least, I read the article, but that statement has really touched me as we've thought about this. Let's take a moment and uh, let's look at the main focus of the article, which, by the way, is prayer. Ms. Schumann mentioned a number of areas that she says we should be praying about as it relates to these mass shootings. That's right. And as you said, her, her article can be found on the Christianity Today website, and it was posted on Sunday. And the title of her article is, I'm a shooting survivor. If you're going to pray for us, here's how. And then beneath that is the byline, which reads, we need more than, quote-unquote, thoughts and prayers in the immediate aftermath. And one of the things she says that she's frustrated by the cliche we hear all the time after something like this happens, and that's our thoughts and prayers go out to the victims and their families. Now, I get that sentiment, but I have to say I think it's really a throwaway line for most people, and I have to wonder how many of the politicians and commentators actually do pray or even think about it much after the news cycle has run its course. So Mrs. Schumann offered some specific things that people can and should pray about. Uh, first, she said we should pray about the physical effects of the shootings, the wounds, the pain, and future treatment, as well as for the doctors and nurses and all the staff who care for these victims. She also said we need to pray for the emotional and psychological scars, not only because of being shot, but also because sometimes they're seeing family and friends being wounded or killed. And so these scars run deep and uh, include problems going into public places, having night terrors, uh, just dealing with a sense of fear in general. 
Uh, then there's a problem of being re-traumatized by both the legal process as killers are brought to justice, and they have to be involved with that sometimes, and then by other killers who go on similar shooting sprees in other places. So it's really a tragedy, and we do need to be praying as these things come to mind. Well, the Bible does say intercessory prayer is part of our prayer life, or it should be, for each and every Christian, and that's what we're talking about here. David, I don't want to get too deep into the gun control debate, but as believers, we cannot escape this issue any more than anyone else can. Do you have any thoughts about this? Well, first of all, I'd say I think I need to give full disclosure. I grew up in the hills of southern Indiana, and my dad gave me my first rifle when I was 14. And my dad was actually an expert marksman back in the day. You could throw a penny in the air, and he could hit it with a twenty-two rifle. He even built his own gun. So I grew up around guns, and maybe I'm a bit biased, but I do try to be balanced as well. You know, the fact is, Jimmy, that we live in a different world than what you and I grew up in. So I'm not against background checks and waiting periods. There's a lot of crazy people out there, and there are a lot of criminals with drugs and gangs being two of the biggest problems. At the same time, we do have a Constitution that was designed to protect the rights of citizens in this country. Some people argue that the Founding Fathers couldn't have imagined giving people the right to own guns like AK-47s or AR-15s. Well, of course they couldn't because the government didn't have them either. And the Second Amendment was designed to give the citizenry the right to be able to match the firepower of the government as a safeguard against tyranny. And history has shown us repeatedly what happens to freedoms, and especially those of Christians and Jews, when only the government and criminals have guns. You know, and finally, I would say that when we grew up, there were also millions of privately owned guns in this country, and there were almost no mass shootings. The problem is that we're reaping what has been sown in our society with a widespread breakdown in the family and a growing disregard for human life, and, and also, I would say, the increased prescription of psychotropic drugs. None of these things are helpful. In fact, they're hurting us terribly. Well, in a couple of ironic statements by a couple of political leaders, we're going to take back all the guns if I become president. I don't think that's going to happen. And number two, hey, why doesn't the government get rid of these assault rifles and then we as citizens can get rid? Let's be equal because that's the purpose for the Second Amendment, that we are able to protect ourselves from a tyrannic government. Very interesting thought you had there, David. Well, as we wrap it up, I think it would be good to briefly discuss the problem of evil and suffering in this world, and how we as believers should think and respond beyond prayer, as important as that is. Well, Jimmy, you know, this is one of the most difficult questions in life. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and we're witnessing every day what we've mentioned many times on this program, and that's what I call the death spiral of humanity that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, where he begins with the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And this is what we're seeing. We are reaching the bottom of that spiral, and the next thing that's going to happen is God's judgment. You know, at the same time, we know that a man named Job lived some 4,000 years ago, and he lost his entire family except for his wife. He lost everything he owned. He lost his health to the point he wanted to die. But he also said in chapter 2, 
uh, shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept diversity? Uh, and in all this, Job did not sin. So I would say but that as believers, we can be salt and light, we can comfort and encourage, we can cry with people when necessary, and most importantly, we can be involved with evangelism and discipleship, because our only true hope and security at any time is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's great discussion, David. I appreciate it so much. Hey, listen, I think we ought to stop and have a word of prayer. Would you lead us in a brief prayer for these victims and for wisdom for all of those involved? Sure. Lord, we thank you that uh, we have the opportunity to come to you and that we have the opportunity as believers to be salt and light in this world and in this country. We pray for those who have lost loved ones and those who are still suffering, help them through this and for the trauma and recovery that comes ahead. And give all those involved, politicians and the citizenry, wisdom as we make decisions going forward in this country. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, David. And uh, we'll see you next week for another discussion. Thanks so much, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book as it relates to all of the reports from our broadcast partners. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, our broadcasters had reports on current events from around the world. 
All of these reports from our broadcast partners were for helping us to realize how close we are to the fulfillment of God's prophetic scenario for the end time. In fact, that's our purpose right here on Prophecy Today weekend, to look at current events in light of biblical prophecy. Two of our broadcast partners had said reports, one on the destruction of two Jewish temples in Jerusalem, and the other report on the two mass shootings in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso, Texas. Those reports, plus the other four broadcast partners, can be heard at my website. If you missed any of the conversations, go to prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There we have archived all of these reports, so you will be able to hear them. And please do me a favor, pass this information along to a friend. They need to hear the reports as well. Now let me rehearse all six of these reports, and I want to give you my prophetic perspective on each of them. Ken Timmerman reported that an Iraqi religious leader is saying that the elimination of Christians in the Middle East is quickly approaching. Now, when you think of Bible prophecy, you'd have to go back to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. That is the fifth of the seal judgments, and it's talking about killing believers in the tribulation period. Now, that would not be Christians. The Christians in this world leave this world at the time of the rapture of the church. But there will be many who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but they will be tribulation believers. What we see going on today is simply a precursor to the judgments that will take place during the seven-year tribulation period. David Dolan, he gave us his Middle East News update, says that the Prime Minister of Israel is saying that he will take sovereign control of Judea and Samaria after the next election if he is re-elected as Prime Minister. You know, the Lord promised to the Jewish people Judea and Samaria. You can find that in Ezekiel chapter 36. That talks about the land in 35 different locations in that one chapter. And it's interesting. Read Ezekiel 36 verse 22. The Lord tells the Jewish people, I do not this for your sake, but I do it for my holy name's sake. The Lord is saying when he could swear by nothing greater, He swore by his name that he would give the Jewish people that piece of real estate. By the way, it does not belong to the Jews. Actually, Leviticus chapter 25 says that the land is God's land. He is going to allow the Jews to be the caretakers. And this will only happen in the coming kingdom period. Until then, conflict as we're reporting right here on this broadcast. Winky Madad, he talked about and explained to us Tish B'Av. That is a very high holy day in the Jewish world. In 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians destroyed the first temple, Solomon's temple, in Jerusalem. And then in 70 A.D., that second temple, Herod's temple, was destroyed as well. What's so interesting, it was Tishbaab in 586 for the first temple, and Tishbaab 70 AD 
for the second temple. And as the Jewish people on this holy day pray for the next temple in Jerusalem, we must remember that all preparations have been made for that temple to be rebuilt. Itamar Marcus gave us a look at the swastikas that are being used by Hamas in their battle against the Jewish state of Israel. Hitler and Hamas had the same goal, that is to destroy the Jewish people. Hitler's connection to Hamas went through the Hanjaman el-Husseini, who at that time in history was the Mufti not only of the Middle East, but the Mufti of the Islamic world, and he developed a relationship with Adolf Hitler where they joined in partnership to wipe out the Jewish people. By the way, Tajiman el-Husseini had a nephew whose name was Yasser Arafat. John Rood talked to us about the European Union, and we were talking about the fall of the European Union, and we also mentioned the Eurozone. The Irish minister said that the 31st of October is the time of Brexit when Great Britain will crash and burn. In fact, the question often is asked, will Brexit destroy the European Union? I don't believe so. If it's 28 members now, it could be 10 members ultimately when everybody who would like to withdraw from the European Union finally does that. As it relates to the Eurozone, there's only 19 members of the 28 members of the European Union that are in the Eurozone, but there is a connection to the revival of the Roman Empire, that economic political connection. And the prophetic connection is, Daniel chapter 7, this will happen. The revived Roman Empire will come to power in the tribulation period. And then David James and I had a conversation. We were talking about praying for the victims of the mass shootings this last week. There are many reports that people don't like to hear that phrase. It's so trite, they say, oh, we're praying for you. Well, the Bible is very key in instruction as to whether we should be involved in prayer for these people. I saw one report on national television that during the shooting at Walmart, while it was actually going on all over the store, they could hear the Hispanic people praying in Spanish that God would protect them. By the way, 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2 says, pray. Pray for all who are in authority, especially they're the ones who will be making decisions after this terrible disaster that did take place in these two cities. It is our responsibility to be involved in intercessory prayer for these people. And dear friends, as you stop to think about what I've just said to you in this rehearsal of the main news stories for this week in my prophetic perspective, you can come to an understanding we're very close to that time referred to as the rapture, when the Lord takes all of us who are Christians off the earth into the heavenlies to be with Him. And by the way, that rapture could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up unto. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.